Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks written by Al Lewis. Well, the holiday season is practically with us. To our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, it means more than just a respite from the rigors of a difficult school term. Yes, it means that I'll get a chance to relax and observe the change that takes place in people as Christmas approaches. It's almost visible, the spirit of camaraderie and warm good fellowship which flows between us like a bountiful stream. I only hope that this season our beloved principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin, will get a little on him. <laughs> I was talking about his temper to my landlady last Friday morning at breakfast. I can't understand it, Mrs. Davis. Everything I do lately seems to rub Mr. Conklin the wrong way. What do you mean, Connie? Well, take yesterday, for instance. I was in his office when I saw his lighted cigar lying on the rug unnoticed. Naturally, I stooped over and picked it up. Wouldn't you? Well, I gave up smoking a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't want the office to catch on fire, Mrs. Davis, so I merely put the cigar in an ashtray. You might not believe this, but he was furious. Because you put his cigar back in the ashtray? Well, it wasn't exactly an ashtray. I guess I should have noticed it was an inkwell. <laughs> oh, and when you put his cigar in the inkwell, it went out? That isn't the end I put in the inkwell. <laughs> Three puffs later, Mr. Conklin could have won first prize in the chow dog contest. <laughs> He's so unreasonable. You'd think having a blue tongue was a crime. Maybe it was the taste of the ink he objected to. He's always been a finicky eater anyway. But forget about Mr. Conklin, Connie. Just stay out of his way as much as possible. Believe me, I'll do my best, Mrs. Davis. Say, that's quite a batch of mail you've got there. Is it all for you? Mail? Oh, this isn't incoming mail, Connie. These are the letters I picked up from all the kids in the neighborhood. You see, um, Bush's department store has a contest each year in which the child who writes the best letter to Santa Claus gets his choice of anything in the toy department. Oh, and you're Santa's helper. Mm -hmm. Well, I shop there anyway, so I just drop them off for the kids. They write such cute letters, some of them. Reminds me of the one you wrote to Santa when you were seven years old. Me? Where did you see that, Mrs. Davis? Forgive me, Connie, but I've got it right here. I took it out of your old album. You know, the scrapbook with the souvenirs in it. You had it out last night. Remember? Oh, that's right. I thought I might run across some souvenir money in it. <laughs> Let's see the letter, Mrs. Davis. There you are, dear. Read it out loud. I get such a kick out of it. All right. It says, Dear Sandy Claus. Look at this spelling. S-A-N-D-Y-C-L-A-W-S-S-S. <laughs> That's nice. One S for each claw. <laughs> Read on, dear. I don't want you to bring me very much toys at all, because then you would not have enough for all the other little children. Wasn't I a doll? <laughs> Please, Sandy, just bring me a slate with some chalk and a eraser and some crayons and a ruler on account cause when I grow up, I want to be a English teacher. Signed, Connie Brooks, age seven. <laughs> Isn't that touching, Mrs. Davis? Even at that tender age, I was already planning my future poverty. 
<laughs> you knew what you wanted, all right. Now, I'll just set these letters on the sideboard and pour us some coffee. Here's your cup, Connie. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I'd better hurry. Walter Denton is picking me up this morning. Can we give you a lift? No, thank you. I'm going over to Bush's department store. They have a contest each year in which a child who writes the best letter to Santa Claus gets a... Um, His choice um, of anything in the toy department? How did you know, Connie? <laughs> you just finished telling me, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> oh, so I did. Now, where in the world did I put those letters? What have you done to your car, Walter? It seems to have quite an air about it this morning. It's nothing but your own aromatic presence, Miss Brooks. <laughs> well, thanks, Walter, but I'm not what I mean. Wait a minute, here's a cigar on the seat between us. Oh, probably dropped out of my dad's pocket. I drove him to work this morning. Say, do you mind if I keep it? It might make a nice good morning gesture to Mr. Conklin. I can use one at this point. Oh, sure. My dad's got a pocket full of cigars. But what's wrong with you and old Marblehead? Ew, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Are you in the doghouse, Miss Brooks? Where I am shouldn't happen to a dog, Walter. <laughs> but maybe this little peace offering will help. Smells awfully sweet for a cigar. Oh, it isn't the cigar that has that sweet smell, Miss Brooks. That's Miss Enright. Where is she sitting, in the glove compartment? <laughs> no, I just dropped her off at the beauty parlor. She was wearing a new perfume. She said it was called Voodoo. Kind of clings to the upholstery, doesn't it? <laughs> just like Miss Enright. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Walter. I shouldn't speak that way about another member of the faculty. Forget I said anything. Oh, sure. I know there's no love lost between you two. Although, Miss Enright did pay you a rather nice compliment this morning. She did? Yes, ma'am. She said she thought it was wonderful how you taught the subject of English. Miss Enright said that? Just before she went into the beauty parlor. She said that anybody who could teach a language to so many kids for such a long time, in spite of her obvious difficulty in speaking that language, should get a medal. <laughs> Maybe the dryer will fall on her. <laughs> By the way, Walter, did Miss Enright mention her reason for going to the beauty parlor so early in the morning? Oh, come to think of it, she did. She said she was going out with Mr. Boynton after school. But today's Friday, the day Mr. Boynton usually takes me to the zoo. Well, it's also a special occasion for Miss Enright. It's her birthday. And you know something, Miss Brooks? She came right out and told me her age. How old did she say she was, Walter? Twenty-seven. I guess that's why Mr. Boynton has to take her out today instead of you. I still don't see what Miss Enright's birthday has to do with it. He didn't take her out last year when she was 27. <laughs> or the year before when she was 28. Ah, 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 Miss Brooks. I seem to detect the presence of the green-eyed monster in this vehicle. She can't possibly be back from the beauty parlor yet. <laughs> just makes me mad, Walter, the way some women try to keep their ages hidden. Why, if anybody wanted to make it their business, they could find out my age in a minute. How old are you, Miss Brooks? None of your business. <laughs> There's Mr. Conklin going into his office, Miss Brooks. Now's your chance to slip in that cigar. Right, Walter. See you in class. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Have a cigar? A cigar? Yes, sir. I just happen to have it on me. 
That is, <laughs> a gentleman friend left it in my compact. Uh, here. <laughs> it's brand new, no ink on it. <laughs> oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll withdraw to the safety of my office while I'm still ahead. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Goodbye. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Hello, Miss Enright. Walter Denton tells me that today's your birthday. Why, yes, darling, it is. Happy birthday. <laughs> well, I shall bask in the warmth of that greeting all day. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Enright, but I don't think it's fair of you to make Mr. Boynton break a date with me just because it's your birthday. Oh, I didn't make him do anything, Miss Brooks. It's obviously a matter of preference. Put down a brightly colored gay silk scarf and an old gray shoe, and even a baby will reach for the scarf. Are you calling me an old gray shoe? <laughs> well, if it fits, darling, slip it on. Now, look, Miss Enright, I don't want to be rude to you on this of all days, especially since I realize that your birthday is one holiday which has been celebrated in this neighborhood for countless generations. <laughs> but every Friday, Mr. Boynton takes me to the zoo. That's very cooperative, my dear, but if the zoo wants you badly enough, they'll come and get you. <laughs> now, you really must excuse me. I've got to find Walter Denton's car. I left a cigar in the front seat this morning. Oh, is that your cigar? I thought you smoked a pipe. <laughs> it's for Mr. Boynton. He's just a big, overgrown boy when it comes to practical jokes, you know, so I bought that cigar for him in the magic shop. In the magic shop? Yes. It's an exploding cigar. <laughs> Not dangerous, of course. Just full of soot. Oh, no. Excuse me, Miss Enright, but I've got to get back to Mr. Conklin's office right away. Mr. Conklin, about that cigar I gave you, sir. Yes, Miss Brooks? Okay! <laughs> Mr. Conklin, are you all right? Why, yes, yes, Mr. <laughs> I'm just dandy. But this soot all over my face, what do you suggest I do about that? Well, what can you do, Mr. Conklin? Get down on one knee and sing April Showers. <laughs> Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. Now, proof that brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Continuous research, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice research on tooth decay. Eminent dental authorities supervised hundreds of college men and women for over two years. One group always brushed their teeth with Colgate's right after eating. The other followed their usual dental care. The group using Colgate Dental Cream as directed, using Colgate's exclusively, showed a startling reduction in average number of cavities, far less tooth decay. The other group developed new cavities at a much higher rate. No other dentifrice offers proof of these results. Modern research shows decay is caused by mouth acids which are at their worst right after eating. Brushing teeth with Colgate's as directed helps remove acids before they harm enamel. Yes, Colgate's contains all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. So remember, always use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. 
Well, I finally convinced Mr. Conklin that the cigar episode should be included in my list of unpremeditated crimes. Then when lunch period dragged itself around, I hastened to the cafeteria to see if Miss Enright was with Mr. Boynton. She wasn't, so in four seconds flat, I was. <laughs> I waited all during lunch for him to break our date for that afternoon, but he remained strangely silent. So while we were drinking our coffee, I summoned all my feminine wiles and subtly remarked, Is I is or is I ain't your baby? <laughs> What did you say, Miss Brooks? Nothing, Mr. Boynton. Here's a napkin. It's just that I get a distinct feeling of guilt emanating from your side of the table. Uh, guilt? What makes you say that? You paid for my coffee. Oh. <laughs> it's all right. You can pay for mine next time. I paid for yours last time. We're even. <laughs> but today is Friday, Mr. Boynton. Is that right? That's right. And we usually go to the zoo on Friday. Isn't that so? Well, yes, that's so. Well... Well, what? Is I is or is I ain't your baby? <laughs> if you mean am I keeping our engagement, Miss Brooks, well, a, a funny thing happened this morning. On your way to the rabbit's cage? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I was in my lab when it happened. I remembered an appointment I made for this afternoon with somebody else. Namely? My, uh, uh my grandmother. Uh, that's it. My, my grandmother came into town unexpectedly this morning, and I promised to take her out for the day. She's, uh, she's rather helpless, you see, because, well, she's quite far along in years. You're not just clacking your crockery, Doc. <laughs> it so happens, Mr. Boynton, that I know your grandmother. You, you do? Yes, yeah, she's 27 years old, and she teaches English at Madison High School. Miss Brooks... I've decided that rather than stoop to deception, I'd better be honest about this thing. <laughs> what I told you just now about my grandmother, it isn't true. No. <laughs> no, I, I made a date with Miss Enright for today, but only because it's her birthday, Miss Brooks. She, she told me her folks were living in another part of the country, and... My folks live in another part of the country. Well, Miss Enright also said she didn't have too many friends. I don't have too many friends. But Miss Enright is 27 years old today. My folks live in another part of the country. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. I just didn't want your feelings to be hurt. Don't worry about my feelings, Mr. Boynton. I've sent away for a plastic set. Hi, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Harriet. Oh, how are you, Harriet? Would you care to sit down? There's plenty of room at this table. Oh, thanks just the same, Mr. Boynton, but I've got to take this container of coffee to Daddy. Oh, is your father lunching in his office, Harriet? Yes. He says he's too embarrassed to eat in public today. There seems to be something on his neck he can't get off. The Board of Education? <laughs> It's some black stuff. He didn't want to talk about it too much. Here, Harriet, let me take that coffee down to him. Oh, it's I... the least I can do. You sit here and chat with Mr. Boynton, dear. He's very good company today, loaded with stories. <laughs> well, all right, Miss Brooks, if you say so. Here's the coffee, and here's some extra sugar. Daddy likes it plenty sweet. Thanks, Harriet. I'll, uh, I'll see you later, won't I, Miss Brooks? As we both get older, you mean? <laughs> Please drop into my lab after school. Maybe we can work something out. Perhaps we can all have a date together. Fine, I'll bring my grandfather for Miss Enright. Come in. 
I, I met your daughter in the cafeteria, Mr. Conklin, and she gave me this coffee to bring you. What happened to her? Pulled up lame? <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, sir, I wanted to sort of atone for some of my earlier transgressions. Well, don't stand there. Pour some coffee in a cup for me, please. Yes, sir. I'll just get this cover off. It's on pretty tight. Well, uh, I hope it's hot. If there's anything I can't stand, it's cool coffee. Oh, I'm sure it's piping hot, Mr. Conklin. I can tell by the way the container feels. This lid is so... Let me, let me help you. Let me help. No, it's coming now. I... Oh! Oh! It is piping hot, isn't it? <laughs> Observe the steam rising from my trousers where you stand. Miss Brooks, yesterday you dipped my cigar in the inkwell. This morning you gave me one that exploded in my face. And now, thanks to you again, a container of hot coffee is running down my leg. <laughs> well, don't stand there, Miss Brooks. What have you to say for yourself? Is it sweet enough, Mr. Conklin? <laughs> If it isn't Miss Brooks, come in. <laughs> I said come in. You are Osgood Conklin? I am. And no doubt you heard of Bush's department store. I have. Well, I'm Bush. I'm a little pooped myself. <laughs> Sit down. I'll be brief, Mr. Conklin. Each year, my store gives away contest prizes to children who write in the best letters to Santa Claus. We like to choose some prominent citizens in our community to play Santa for this occasion. Hence, my visit here. Uh, my dear Mr. Bush, if you're suggesting that I involve myself in the squalling clamor of hundreds of children in a department store, put it out of your mind. Uh, but, Mr. Conklin... Uh, you we... have no way of knowing this, of course, but I am a person with extremely high blood pressure and acute hypertension. Playing Santa to a band of yowling brats is out of the question. But I've invited all the photographers and reporters, Mr. Conklin. You'll get at the very least a two-column picture in every paper. I'm sorry. It's absolutely unthinkable for me to... 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 Uh, two-column picture? <laughs> of course. You see, we've picked the winning letter, and you're the ideal choice to present the grand prize this afternoon. Why me? Because you're a school principal. And the contest winner is a little seven-year-old girl who wants to be a teacher when she grows up. <laughs> a teacher? Well, I guess I can arrange it. I'd hate to disappoint a child, especially this obviously backward little tyke. <laughs> what time shall I be there, Mr. Bush? Uh, four o'clock sharp, please, and thank you so much for accepting our invitation. You're welcome, I'm sure. Now, if you'll excuse me, sir, I must inspect some new gym equipment that just arrived. Of course, Mr. Conklin. Oh, before I leave your office, may I use the phone? Uh, certainly. It's right there on my desk. I'll see you at four, Mr. Bush. Right, thank you. Santa Claus is coming to town. Hello, Mrs. Davis speaking. Oh, this is Mr. Bush of Bush's department store. My secretary gave me your phone number, Mrs. Davis. Told me what a grand job you've done of rounding up the children's letters in our letter to Santa contest. I was glad to help, Mr. Bush. Thank you, Mrs. Davis. Now, there's just one bit of information I need from you. Do you know where uh, Connie Brooks lives? Connie Brooks? Certainly. She lives right here with me. 
Well, that's a coincidence. Could I speak with her? Not now. She's still in school. <laughs> of course. It's not three o'clock yet. As a matter of fact, I was just getting ready to pick her up. One of the students in school with her usually takes her home, but he's busy today. I see. Well, Miss Davis, you can do me a great favor. Instead of taking her home today, bring Connie right over to our store. What for? You'll see. What kind of toys does she favor, Mrs. Davis? Toys. Connie doesn't play with toys. Oh, the serious type, eh? <laughs> well, bring her over as early as you can, Mrs. Davis, so I can get acquainted with her. She'll probably warm up a bit after a nice romp in the sand pile. <laughs> now, remember, Mrs. Davis, don't tell her why she's coming to the store. I'd like it to be a surprise. It'll be a surprise, all right. Now, will you please tell me what we're doing in Bush's department store, Mrs. Davis? I haven't enough money left to buy a Christmas seal, let alone do any shopping. Be patient, Connie. We'll find out as soon as I can locate Mr. Bush. I know. Let's cut out for the sand pile. It's right over there in the toy department. All right, but I... Oh, look, there's Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Excuse me just a moment, won't you? I'll go on ahead, Connie, and find Mr. Bush. Fine, Mrs. Davis. Well, Mr. Boynton, doing a little last-minute Christmas shopping? Oh, not exactly, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright asked me to come over here right after school. She's, uh, she's crazy about children, she says, and they're having some sort of contest here today. Where is she now? Oh, she's in the hardware department picking up a new roaster. She says next to children, she likes nothing better than cooking and housework. I bet she's terribly decent to animals, too. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I didn't see you after school, but Miss Enright insisted we leave at once. After all, it is... Her birthday today, I know, Mr. Boynton. I had a hunch you two would wind up alone. Oh, we're only going to a movie, Miss Brooks. Donald O'Connor in Francis just opened at the state. It's the story of an army mule. Oh, that's where you're taking Miss Enright? That's right. What are you trying to do, start your own mule train? <laughs> got the most charming pot, darling. Oh, you've acquired one of your own, haven't you, Mr. Boyd? <laughs> Hello, Prudence. <laughs> Cooked any interesting children lately? Please, ladies, please, let's get over to the toy department. They're getting ready for the ceremonies. The spotlight was just turned on that platform. Oh, fine, Mr. Boynton. I just adore toys. Well, why don't you act your age? <laughs> Come along, Miss Brooks. I see Mrs. Davis right in the front row. Attention, attention, quiet please, children, quiet, children, quiet. Here, without further ado, is your old friend Santa Claus. Oh, <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Merry Christmas, kiddies. Why, that's Mr. Conklin. Is it really? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> of course, I'd recognize that bloodthirsty cheerfulness anywhere. <laughs> Here you are, Santa. Here's the prize-winning letter in the contest. I suppose you read it out loud and will surprise the author who I know is among those listening. Surely, surely. <clears throat> it says, Dear Sandy Claus, spelled C-L-A-W-S-S-S. -S -S. <laughs> mm, that's nice. One S for each claw. <laughs> I don't want 
want you to bring me very much toys at all, cause then you would not have enough for all the other little children. Isn't she a doll? <laughs> Wait a minute, this sounds awfully familiar. Please, Sandy, just bring me a slate with some chalk and a eraser and some crayons and a ruler, cause when I grow up, I want to be a English teacher. Oh, no. Signed, Connie Brooks, age seven. Now, if this little girl will step up... <laughs> Connie Brooks! Page seven. You sound like you know this girl, Mr. Conklin. Now, let's get her up to the platform. Where are you, honey? You, Mr. Bush, down here. I'm Mrs. Davis. Oh, hello, Mrs. Davis. The girl you're looking for is standing right here beside me. What? Who are you? I'm Connie Brooks, age seven. <laughs> Miss Brooks, what's the meaning of this? Yes, what is this hoax? Oh, there was no hoax intended, gentlemen. Mrs. Davis must have absentmindedly put my letter in with the other kids. When I wrote that letter, I was actually seven years old. You were never that young, darling. <laughs> Oh, this is terrible. The press and photographers will be here any minute. Give me that bag of toys, Mr. Conklin. This girl gets nothing. Now, hold on there, Mr. Bush. The contest rules clearly state that the winner must be a child. If Miss Brooks was seven years old when she wrote that letter, she, she's entitled to take home anything she wants from the toy department. Yeah. I think you've got something there, Mr. Boynton. Oh, uh, this is terribly embarrassing. Miss Brooks, if you'll just leave the premises before the press arrive, you may have anything in the toy department you desire. What do you want? Uh, Mr. Bush, this is Mr. Boynton. Wrap him up. <laughs> Eve Arden returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight... Yes, tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Luster Cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable, even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is Eve Arden. This Christmas, give yourself and your family the gift that keeps on giving, United States savings bonds, the present with the future. And buy savings bonds regularly. Start preparing now for those things you know you're going to want and need in the future. If you're on a regular payroll, use the easy payroll savings plan. If you're self-employed, use the bond-a-month plan. Invest today in security, your own economic security and the security of your country. Buy United States savings bonds today. 
Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, and Hal March. Here's good shaving news. Three men out of every four can get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves with Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream. This is not just a claim. Here's the proof. 1,297 men tried the Palmolive Brushless Way to Shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three men out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Palmolive Brushless yourself. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the proved Palmolive Brushless Way. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. reports from doctors on the 14-day palm olive plan. Pittsburgh reports better complexions for 67%. St. Louis reports better complexions for 81%. In city after city, doctors tested the 14-day palm olive plan on all types of skin. And two out of three of all women tested got better complexions in 14 days. What is this 14-day palm olive plan? Wash your face three times a day with palm olive soap. Then each time take 60 seconds more to massage palm olive's lovely soft lather onto your skin as you would a cream. Then rinse. This cleansing massage with palm olive's lather brings your skin its full beautifying effect. See what palm olive can do for your skin in 14 days. Remember, doctors prove palm olive's beauty results. Colgate Tooth Powder's Theater of Romance presents Pride and Prejudice. Yes, tonight and every Tuesday night, Colgate Tooth Powder brings you the Theater of Romance, featuring each week your favorite stories and plays especially adapted for radio. And here is your host of the evening, Arnold Moss, to tell you about this evening's presentation, Pride and Prejudice. Mrs. Bennett, wife of Mr. Bennett of the estate known as Longburn in England, was the mother of five daughters. We're going to tell you the story of her second eldest daughter, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Bennett was a beautiful girl. Proud? Oh, yes. And prejudiced? Oh, very strongly. Against a certain Mr. Darcy. And this is why. Elizabeth was at a ball given by a Mr. Bingley, who appeared quite interested in Elizabeth's younger sister, Jane. Well, at the ball, Elizabeth was sitting out of dance alone when she overheard... Why are you standing over here by yourself, Darcy? Come on, let's see you dance a few sets. Thank you, no. You're dancing with the only pretty girl in the room, Bingley. Jane Bennett? Yes, she is beautiful. I'll not deny that. 
But uh, there's her sister Elizabeth sitting over there to the right, who's very beautiful herself. Let me present you to her. Sorry, old man. She may look all right to you, but she doesn't tempt me. And I'm not in a good enough humor to feel like putting up with young ladies who have no partners. You can easily see why Elizabeth Bennet became more than a little prejudiced against Mr. Darcy. But later that evening, when she was crossing the room... Oh, uh, Miss Bennet, would you care to dance? No, thank you, Mr. Darcy. I was just going out for a breath of air. Surely you won't refuse me. I suppose I must be the first who ever has, Mr. Darcy. But I am rather critical of my dancing partners, just as you are. And now, please excuse me. You don't like me, do you, Miss Bennet? That is an understatement, Mr. Darcy. I'm very sorry. But there's something that seems to draw me to you. The room was suddenly empty when you started to leave it. Or perhaps it was my heart. Why do you dislike me? Oh, Mr. Darcy, I couldn't begin to tell you. Well, then, I certainly won't force myself upon you any longer. Good evening, Mr. Darcy. Good evening, Miss Bennet. Well, Darcy, why are you walking up and down so late out here? It's almost three in the morning. Why are you walking up and down so late, Bingley? Darcy, don't you think Miss Jane Bennet is a truly remarkable girl? Yes, but I haven't been keeping myself awake over that. I've been thinking what a remarkable girl Miss Elizabeth Bennet is. But I thought you detested her. Yes, I did. But uh, I seem to have become a little mixed up in my emotions. It's so late, Elizabeth. We really should go to bed. I know. But the moonlight's so bright. Mm. Elizabeth, don't you think Mr. Bingley is very ever? Extremely. And delightfully charming. Delightfully. Oh, Elizabeth, you aren't really listening to me at all. What are you thinking about? How much I dislike Mr. Darcy. Now, while Jane and Bingley were busy dreaming about each other, and while Darcy was dreaming about Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was thinking about how much she disliked him, Mrs. Bennet was busy settling the lives of three of them. Mrs. Bennet, will you please come to bed? You make me so nervous charging up and down the room that I can't close my eyes. Well, Mr. Bennet, if you don't care anything about the future of your daughters, I do. I've got to get them married and settled. Good heavens, I have five on my hands. And practically no one I know has more than two to worry about. Mrs. Bennet, why not leave that in the hands of Providence for tonight? There's really very small chance of your getting them married at three in the morning. Jane, of course, will marry Mr. Bingley. Now, Elizabeth, I think Elizabeth must marry Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins, all right. May I go to sleep now, Mrs. Bennet? Yes. Mr. Bennett, you may. Miss Elizabeth, uh, permit me to tell you that I have your mother's permission to address you on the subject of matrimony. I'm sorry, Mr. Collins, but I'm not in love with you. Ooh, my patroness and esteemed friend, Lady Catherine Lebrow, will, will be most disappointed. 
I have already informed her of my intentions towards you. Surely Lady de Brough must have problems of her own to think about? She is most anxious to see me settled and to see her own daughter settled with Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy? They have been engaged since they were born. Uh, Lady Catherine and Mr. Darcy's mother made all the arrangements. I wish them great joy. Although, in my opinion, Mr. Darcy is the most impossible, vain, egotistical, unpleasant, ill-mannered man it has ever been my bad fortune to meet. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't mention Mr. Darcy sooner, Miss Elizabeth. I would have known then why there is no hope for me. Miss Bennet. Oh, Miss Bennet. Mr. Darcy? We seem to be walking in the same direction. I can change my direction. I'm only out for a little pleasant air. I've had a very wearing day. No, I'll change my direction. I wouldn't think of spoiling your walk. Just as you wish, Mr. Darcy. This seems as good a time as any to say goodbye, I suppose. Goodbye? I thought you and Mr. Bingley were going to be here all the winter. We had a change of plans. My sister has not been well, and I'm taking her to Italy. Bingley's coming along with us. He and Gladys, uh, well, there's been an understanding between them for some time. You follow me, don't you? Perfectly, Mr. Darcy. I think they'll be getting married in the spring as soon as we can work it out. When two people are in love, there's no point in waiting, is there? Of course not. Especially if one of the people seems to be falling in love with someone else. Ah, you do follow me. You see, Miss Bennet, you have a designing mother. And my sister's happiness is at stake. Your mother talks too much, Miss Bennet, much too much for someone after such an elusive thing as a proposal of marriage. She's been telling everyone in the neighborhood that Miss Jane and Bingley were as good as engaged. Well, now that she's made that little bed, she and Jane will have to lie in it. Alone. And now, good day, Miss Bennet. Good day and goodbye. I'm sorry we were never able to get along, because I think you're a fine and beautiful woman. Whatever I think of the designs of your mother and sister. Do you think I care what you think of me? No, I entertain no such hopes, Miss Bennet. If I ever had any little conceits, you've long since destroyed them. Undoubtedly, that will give you great personal satisfaction. Goodbye, Mr. Darcy. I hope you'll be very happy in Italy. If it's any consolation to you, I won't. You see, I haven't escaped entirely unscathed in this fray. I have a few wounds to lick myself. Goodbye, Miss Bennet. We'll be back in just a moment with the second act of Pride and Prejudice. And now here is Del Charbot. You know it, I know it, everyone knows it. If you want to be popular, always have a breath that's sweet. That advice is solid. And solid, too, is this advice. Use Colgate tooth powder night and morning and before every date. For Colgate is the only tooth powder that offers proof of this fact. Scientific tests have definitely proved that Colgate tooth powder stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. Stops it instantly in seven cases out of ten. Yes, Colgate tooth powder is the only tooth powder that offers you this proof. Well, you know what to do. For a breath that's sweet and a smile that dazzles, use Colgate tooth powder night and morning and before every date. Because instantly it stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth in seven cases out of ten. Its safe, gentle polishing agent quickly removes dull, dingy surface film. 
reveals all the natural luster of your teeth. Sweet breath, dazzling smiles. Why accept less of any dentifrice? Get Colgate Tooth Powder tonight. Remember the name, Colgate Tooth Powder, with the accent on powder. And now the second act of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Mrs. Bennett, will you kindly stop that infernal noise? Oh, my poor Jane, my poor broken-hearted baby. How could any man be so cruel and black-hearted? How could any man go off without a word of farewell after all the attentions he showed her? Mother, please, you're keeping everyone in the house awake. How can you be so callous, Elizabeth Bennet? Don't you care that your sister has a broken heart? Oh, <laughs> eternal perdition. Mother, please stop crying about me. I'm all right. Oh, my baby, my poor broken-hearted baby. Mother, I don't want to hear any more of this. It's humiliating and very upsetting. I would appreciate it if you never mentioned Mr. Bingley's name to me again. Come on, Elizabeth, let's go back to our room. Good night, Father. Mother? Good night, girls. Good night. Oh, Mr. Bennett, now I've got to start from scratch again. I've got five daughters and not one husband in sight. I declare I could just cry. I'm that disappointed. Elizabeth, please don't hum that song. Oh, Jane, I am sorry. I don't mean to be annoying. <laughs> That's one of Mr. Bingley's favorite songs. He sang it to me at the ball. Oh, Elizabeth, I, I'm afraid I love him very much. I ought to be too proud to admit that. But tonight I don't seem to have any pride. Tonight all I can think is... How lovely life was for a few weeks. How lovely it might have been. Oh, Jane. Oh, you don't know what it's like, Elizabeth. You've never been in love. It hurts so much you want to die. Yet you know you won't die. But you'll go on living with the hurt. And when the hurt finally goes, you'll be completely empty. Empty. The room was suddenly empty when you walked out. Or perhaps it was my heart. What are you talking about? Someone said that to me once. You never told me. Someone you loved? Someone I might have loved. I know who, Elizabeth. I've guessed. I'm sorry I said that. It was selfish of me. You know far more about how love can hurt than I. I at least had a few weeks of happiness. I did not say I was in love. I only said I might have been if I didn't despise him so. Don't be too proud, Elizabeth. Pride is such a lonely thing when you choose it in place of love. Pride is all I have, all I've been offered, and all I want. Good night, Jane. I'm very sleepy. Good night, Elizabeth. <laughs> Mr. Darcy, this is a surprise. Good afternoon, Miss Bennett. You're looking thin and not a bit well. Didn't Italy agree with you? Not too much, no. Miss Bennett, there's something I must tell you. 
It's not at all easy since you've gone to much pains to let me see how distasteful I am to you. But I love you, and I have to tell you. Have you lost your mind? No, only my heart. Elizabeth, will you marry me? I offer you a name of some honor through many generations, security and comfort, and my great devotion. You surely cannot think that I will accept you. Even you could not have that much conceit. I hoped you might accept me. Let us put it that way. Mr. Darcy, I've never asked for your good opinion or your love, and I'm amazed that you have chosen to bestow them on me. There have been a lot of tears shed in this house in the past few months, and you have been the cause of all of them. I assure you that I would marry anyone in the world before I would marry you. Forgive me for boring you, Miss Bennet, and for taking up your time. Don't think that you can make me ashamed of my love, because it is above reproach and the best that's in me to offer a woman. But I am ashamed of the object of my love. I thought I was kneeling at your feet when I asked you to marry me. Now I see I was stooping a little. Thank you for refusing me. Forgive me for taking up so much of your time and accept my best wishes for your health and happiness. <laughs> What's wrong, Mother. my dear? Oh, it's Lydia. It's Lydia. She's run off with a soldier. Oh, look at this note. Oh, my baby, my poor baby, married without her mother there. God bless her. Oh, oh, Mr. Bennett, he will marry her, won't he? No soldier would be as low as to run off with a young lady and not marry her, would he? What do you think, Mrs. Bennett? Oh, Mr. Bennett, oh, Elizabeth, what am I to do? This will ruin us all. We'll never get any husband. You have all the law allows, my dear. Aren't you going to get your horse whip and go after that man, Mr. Bennett? Yes, madam, I am, as soon as I can get dressed. Someone should have warned me what marriage can lead to. I might have avoided this all 30 years ago. No, Mr. Bennett! Madam, be silent. If Lydia isn't married now, she will be very soon. I'll see to that. I want to talk to you. Yes, Elizabeth? When you went up to London and got Lydia married, just how did you manage it? Oh, there was nothing to it, my dear. Lydia says you gave them a thousand pounds. Where did you get the thousand pounds, father? From Mr. Darcy, Elizabeth. Mr. Darcy? Yes, he came to see me. He'd heard about Lydia, and he said the only way to straighten things out was to give them some money to get them started. You shouldn't have accepted any money like that from Mr. Darcy. He's not a friend of ours, Father. Not a friend? He's a friend in need. It's only a loan. I'll pay it back. It's a shame that you can't find anything good about Mr. Darcy, Elizabeth. And it's a shame that you resent it when you come face to face with something that's so kind and good you can't deny it. Are you in love with Mr. Darcy, daughter? Why does everyone keep asking me if I'm in love with that man? Maybe because you have so many symptoms. It takes more than symptoms to make a case of anything. I'm not in love with him. And no matter what he does for this family, I'm not going to be in love with him. All right, Elizabeth, all right. Elizabeth, oh, Elizabeth, darling. Mr. Bingley and I have something to tell you. 
We wanted you to be the first to know. Mr. Bingley, how do you do? I didn't dream you were in this part of the country. I only returned this morning. Will you tell her, Jane, or shall I? You don't have to tell me anything. It's written all over your faces. I congratulate you both. Well, I think I wouldn't have known that Jane cared if it hadn't been for Mr. Darcy. I still get shaky. Mr. Darcy? Of course. He spent all those months in Italy telling me about Jane. I only left, you know, because I... I couldn't believe she cared, and I wanted to try and get over her. But Darcy kept after me week in and week out, saying, where's your courage? At least go back and ask her. We owe Mr. Darcy a great deal, Elizabeth. Yes. So it would seem. He's down at the gypsy camp just now, listening to their music. Why don't you go down and see him? Yes. Yes, I must. Oh, I've been such a fool. I wonder if he'll ever forgive me. Mr. Darcy, I... Miss Bennet. It seems I owe you both apologies and gratitude. Please, please, I don't want gratitude from you. I wish you did, Mr. Darcy. You paid me the very great compliment once of asking me to marry you. I wish I had not been so hasty or so rude as to say no. If I asked you again, what would my answer be this time? Are you asking, Mr. Darcy? Oh, no. Uh, oh. I'm just considering it. What would my answer be? Please tell me, Miss Bennet. Or have you too much pride? Why, Mr. Darcy, if you did ask me again, I would say, thank you so much. I'll try very hard to make you happy. And I would say, I've loved you from the first moment. But I seem to find it very difficult to say so. And I would say I'm yours now, whether you want me or not, completely and forever. My darling. My darling. I love you, Mr. Darcy. Very, very dearly. Mrs. Bennet, I'm very sleepy. What are you crying about now? Lydia's married, and Jane and Elizabeth soon will be, and we have only two daughters left. Oh, Mr. Bennet, we are going to be so lonely all alone. They'll be married, too, before we turned around. I've lost my baby. Madam, you baffle me completely. That's because you've never been a mother, Mr. Bennet. That's because you've never been mother. Praise God, I never shall. Amen to that, Mr. Bennet. Amen indeed, madam. And now, please, may I get some sleep? Yes, Mr. Bennet. You may. Good night. Good night. Mr. Bennet is very tired, and we don't want to keep him awake, so we'll just tell you that Everyone lived happily ever after, as was the custom in those days, with no further prejudices and just the right amount of pride. The curtain has fallen on tonight's play, Pride and Prejudice. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's play. But right now, listen... Girls don't say I'm pleased to meet a man with breath not always sweet. What to do? It's simple. 
Just brush your teeth with Colgate Tooth Powder night and morning and before every date for a breath that's sweet and a smile that dazzles. Scientific tests prove in seven cases out of ten, Colgate Tooth Powder instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth while gently removing dull surface film from the teeth. Colgate is the only tooth powder that offers proof of this claim. Yes, Colgate Tooth Powder performs what it promises, sweetens your breath in seven cases out of ten. At the same time, its gentle polishing agent removes dingy film, revealing the natural luster of your teeth, leaving them excitingly clean. Make it a must. Use Colgate Tooth Powder night and morning and before every date. Remember the name, Colgate Tooth Powder, with the accent on powder. Our play next week is the modern romantic story, Dark Victory, the story of a daring young woman who, years before her time, comes face to face with destiny. Until next Tuesday, then, when Colgate Tooth Powder's Theater of Romance presents Dark Victory. This is your host, Arnold Moss, saying good night and wishing you love, happiness, and romance. In tonight's play, Elizabeth was played by Joan Wetmore and Mr. Darcy by Alex Scurvy. The radio adaptation was by Gene Holloway, the music composed and conducted by Ben Ludlow, and the production was directed by Mark Sloeb. Johnny Sparks is coming home next week. It's his last lead before he goes over. His last chance to tell the family goodbye, and maybe his first chance to see his new baby. Now, will you make sure that Johnny and his buddies have a seat or a berth on the train? You will if you'll forego every trip that's not absolutely essential. And please don't travel over Labor Day weekend, because this Labor Day, every railroad in the country will be taxed with terrific loads. So please put off that pleasure trip until after the victory bells ring out. Please don't travel unless your trip is vital to the war. And here's a thought for everyone. Six million Americans are fighting overseas. Here at home, let's all remember that until final victory everywhere, winning the war still comes first with every last one of us. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott and Costello Show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello Show. Yes, it's the Abbott and Costello Show. Produced and transcribed in Hollywood for your listening and laughing pleasure. Chuckles with a carload and music by Matty Malnick. So hold on to your chairs, folks, for here they are, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Quiet down. Get some money, quick Quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. Quiet down. What are you doing with those boxing gloves? I'm going to enter the Golden Gloves tournament. I've been training. You a prize fighter? Yes, I'm known as Butcher Boy Costello. Butcher Boy Costello? Yes, I gave my opponent a left to the heart, a right to the kidneys, a left to the chops, and a right cross to the short ribs. And then? He knocked me on my pot roast. <laughs> you don't even look like a fighter. Being strong is all in the mind, you know, Costello. It is? Sure. You have to think strong. Think of Atlas, and you'll have a shape like him. Think of Hercules, and you'll have a shape like his. That method won't work with me, Abbott. Why not? I keep thinking of Rita Hayworth. I... 
What do you think will happen to you if you got knocked around and got punched, drunk, and goofy? I can always be a straight man like you. Sure you can. <laughs> How do you think you'd look with a cauliflower ear? A mushroom nose and a squash face. I'd be the only guy in Hollywood with a built-in home garden. I... <laughs> Costello, you're a moron. Uh, what's that? You're a moron. That's enough, Abbott. One more word out of you and I'll fight. Idiot. That ain't the word. <laughs> Costello, you're in a class with an imbecile. I know. Want me to help you out with your homework? I'll get him out of here. <laughs> What happened to you? What happened? Yeah. You know what happened. What? I don't get a chance to do nothing on the show. Oh, stop. Oh, I went to that quiz show. Truth or coincidences? Uh-oh. They asked me a question. When I, when I didn't give them the answer, they hit me over the head with a, a crowbar and ripped my clothes off and hit me in the face with a pie and squirted dirty water all over me. Well, that's terrible. Yeah, but the joke was on them. It was? Mm-hmm. I knew the answer all the time. <laughs> You should quit hanging around quiz shows trying to win something for nothing. You ought to get yourself a job and go to work. I tried to. I studied to be a bartender. I went to the bartender school for two years, and I still can't get a job. Why not? I can't fix a television set. I... <laughs> I, I thought so. You're just stupid. Your whole family is stupid. Oh, uh, how can you say that? My Uncle Mike is a very brilliant man. He invented the cotton gin, the telephone, and the steamboat. What about Whitney, Bell, and Fulton? Leave the Andrews sisters out of this. I... <laughs> What is, it, what is your Uncle Mike doing now, Lou? He's part-time lifeguard at the Del Mar Hotel swimming pool. Are you kidding? Uncle Mike can't even swim. That's why he's only working part-time. <laughs> he had a lot of trouble with Aunt May last week. He did? Yeah, he got her a new set of false teeth, and he told her not to take them out. He begged her not to take them out. He pleaded with her not to take them out, but she did. What happened? Her head collapsed. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, your Aunt May is quite a woman, Lou. She, wa- she raised quite a family. Oh, yes. Three yeah. years ago at the Patterson Fair... She won first prize for having the most little boys in one family. She well, had 15 little boys. Mm-mm. What was first prize? A little boy. A little... <laughs> Never mind that. Whatever happened to your Aunt May's uh, younger sister? Oh, she graduated from high school this year. And she's so excited, she's going to Harvard. Harvard? Harvard is a boy's school. Yeah, that's why she's so excited. I... <laughs> she's going to Harvard. That's ridiculous. None of your family ever went to college. Is that so? Mm. I'm taking a night course right now at UCLA. Well, no, I'm glad to hear In other that. words, that's UCLA. 
Oakland. Well, disregard it. UCLA. I'm glad to hear it, Lou. Uh, how are you making out? Not so good. Monday night, the teacher asked each pupil to bring something that would show what they want to be when they, when they get out of school. Well, now, it sounds interesting. Yeah, one guy wanted to be a policeman, so he brought a button off a policeman's uniform. One girl wanted to be a nurse, so she brought a button off a nurse's uniform. Another guy wanted to be a fireman, so he brought a button off a fireman's uniform. And what did you bring? Nothing. Why not? I wanted to be married. How are you going to get a button off of that? <laughs> You want to be married. You don't know the first thing about marriage. You don't even know what it takes to make a marriage. I do so. It only takes two people to make a marriage. Well, that's right. A single girl and an anxious mother. I... <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, marriage is a three-ring circus. What do you mean a three-ring circus? Well, first the engagement ring. Yes. Then the wedding ring. Yes. And then suffering. Oh, stop. <laughs> Are you still going with that striptease dancer at the burlesque show? Oh, sure. Every night I bring her three roses. Does she wear them? She has to. It's her custom. <laughs> what about that new girl that moved in the apartment next to you? Well, I tell you, but I had a date with her, and she's a bachelor girl. Well, what makes you think she's a bachelor girl? She looks more like a bachelor than she does a girl. <laughs> How old a girl is she, Lou? Abbott, asking a girl's age is like buying a used car. What do you mean? Well, you know the speedometer has been set back, but you don't know how far. <laughs> Where did you take her on the date? Well, we went to a soda fountain and had one of those fancy dishes. You know, ice cream and bananas. Split? No, I paid the whole check. I... <laughs> well, she doesn't sound like she doesn't sound like the kind of girl for you, Costello. Tell me, do you still uh, do you still date that cute little uh, blonde from Pomona? Oh, sure. I had a date to go horseback riding with her last night. You did? Yes, we rode along through the moonlight. It was beautiful. Her horse was nuzzling my horse. My horse was nuzzling her horse. Ah, must have been fun. It was for the horses. My girl didn't show up. <laughs> I guess she saw it me because I bought her mother a girdle, and her mother got mad, too. Well, uh, what size does her mother wear? Small, medium, or large? Oh, no, no, no. Women's girdles don't come in those sizes, Abbott. They don't? Oh, no, no. What sizes do they come in? Large, larger, and here comes the showboat. <laughs> Uncle Bud. Hello, Uncle Louie. It's Abbott's nephew, folks. I left orders with the doorman not to let you win. Now, how did you get past him? I held your script under his nose and then stepped over his body. <laughs> there must be a way to keep this guy out of here. Now, I've got it. I'll hypnotize him. Come over here, Norman. Oh, uh, now, wait a minute, Costello. What are you going to do to him? I'm going to hypnotize him and put him to sleep. Look me straight in the eye, Norman. Okay. You're going to sleep. Abadabba, sleep. Abadabba, sleep. Abadabba, sleep. I think it's working, Uncle Louie. It is? Yeah, my Abadabba is asleep. Now you lay off, Norman. He's my sister Olive's boy. And Olive's a very lovely person and a big woman in this town. I noticed that. Your sister Olive is built like the state of Indiana. <laughs> Just what do you mean? She has a large South Bend. I... <laughs> My sister Olive is a leader of society. Before she moved to Hollywood, she was the rage of Kansas City. Your sister Olive would throw any city into a rage. I... <laughs> she came to the right place when she came to Hollywood. She's a typical Hollywood girl. What do you mean? A Hollywood girl at 30 has wrinkles. At 35, she has gray hair. And at 40, she becomes a blonde and starts all over again. <laughs> Say what you want about my sister Olive, but she's a very well-educated woman. She's a college graduate. And she has a sheepskin. I noticed that. She ought to try using Jergens lotion. I... 
You know, you, you know, you have no business ridiculing my family. Now, last week you were picking on my wife. My wife comes from one of the finest families in California. She's a Tracy. Any relation to Dick Tracy? Uh, <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not. Dick Tracy's a character in a comic book. Your wife is no oil painting. I... <laughs> Hello, boys. Hey, look, Costello, it's our secretary, Viola Vaughn. Well, Viola, 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 you certainly look lovely tonight. What is that you're wearing? Oh, do you like it? This is my nightclub dress. Nightclub dress? Uh-huh. Don't you get it, Abbott? No cover. No cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you look gorgeous tonight. You and I would make a lovely pair. We'd be just like a couple of lovebirds. Would we? Oh, I'll show you. First, I put one wing around you like this. Uh-huh. Then I put my other wing around you like this. Then I put... Then I beak up close to your beak. Then I coo softly... What do I do? Don't stand there, Viola. Drop a worm in his mouth. (laughs) Cut it out. I'm serious about her. And you're not. Why, Viola, I'd bring you the moon on a silver platter. Oh, that's wonderful, Abbott. How about you, Costello? Would you bring me the moon on a silver platter? Well, I look like a waiter. The moon on a silver platter is a poetic expression like they use in songs. Oh, you know I wrote a song about the moon? A very beautiful thing, too. What's the name of it? I call it Carolina Moon, What Are You Doing Over Glendale? (laughs) Stop, Costello. You know nothing about writing songs. Oh, I not only write songs, I sing them. Why, when I was in kindergarten every morning, I would get up in front of the class and sing Rockabye Baby all the way through. Well, that was marvelous. Yeah, there was nothing to it. I was 21 years old at the time. (laughs) You know any other songs, Costello? Oh, every night I lay in bed and I sing an Irish lullaby. Did that put you to sleep, Costello? Certainly. You don't think I'd stay awake and listen to that howling, do you? <laughs> well, I saw you last night, Costello. I saw you. You had a cat on a leash. Hey, that certainly is a funny-looking cat. Is he yours? Yes, he's mine. He's a football cat. I call him First Down. What do you name the cat First Down? Every night he's got ten yards to go. (laughs) Well, instead of being out walking a cat on a leash, a boy your age ought to be out with a girl. Well, I like cats better. They're smarter than girls anyway. What makes you say the cats are smarter than girls? Well, Abbott, no matter how a girl tries, she can't wash her face with her tongue. <laughs> Pay no attention to him, Viola. Why don't you come over and see the preview of, of our new picture, Viola? Huh? I do some love scenes in the picture, and I, I want you to see my, my fade-out kiss. You mean she'll see your faded-out kisser? <laughs> anyway, Viola has got a date with me. Well, I don't think I'm going to keep it, Costello. Why not? Well, last Sunday he took me riding and he insisted I wear a riding habit. Naturally. Monday he took me hiking and he insisted I wear a hiking suit. Naturally. Tuesday he took me to dinner and he insisted I wear a dinner gown. Well, why are you breaking the day tonight? Tonight he wants to take me to a birthday party. Uh... (laughs) Well, that did it. It's been a lot of fun and it's been a beautiful evening up to now, Mabel. Mabel? My name is Viola. Well, whatever your name is, it's certainly been fun. Get him out of here! (laughs) 
Ladies and gentlemen, Abbott and I heard a young singer in New York several weeks ago, and we liked him very much, and we brought him back to Hollywood to join our show, and here he is, and we hope you like him too, Hal Winters. Cumbacumbacumbacumbanchero A bongo, 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 cero Brigati que va sonando Cumbanchero, bongo, cero, que se va Bongo, cero, que se va El cumbacumbacumbacumbanchero A bongo, 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 cero Brigati que va sonando Cumbanchero, bongo, cero, que se va Bongo, cero, que se va when you're Boom, 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 ba. It's when you're Boom, 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 ba. Kumba, 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 A bongo, 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 cero. Rickety, give us so under Kumbanchero. Bongo, cero, keseva. Bongo, cero, keseva. Kumba, 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 kumbanchero A bongo, 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 cero Trigadi que va solando Kumbanchero, bongo, cero, que se va Bongo, cero, que se va A kumba, 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 kumbanchero A bongo, 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 cero Trigadi que va solando Kumbanchero, bongo, cero, que se va Bongo, cero, que se va when you're a tambo, boom, 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 ba. It's when you're a big boom, 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 ba. El kumba, 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 chero. A kumba, 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 chero. Brigadique, osolando, kumba, chero. Bango, cerro, que se va. Bango, cerro, que se Costello, Costello, something's got to be done about the parking conditions around this studio. Tonight I couldn't see a parking space in front of the studio, in back of the studio, or even across the street from the studio. Could be worse. Uh, what do you mean? Abbott, yeah, suppose you had a car. Yeah. <laughs> Well, never mind that. Did your Uncle Mike drive you down here tonight? No, my Uncle Mike just took his California driver's test today. You should have seen him. He got in a car with the inspector, backed into a truck, bumped into a streetcar, and then he crashed into a stone wall. Did he pass? We won't know until next Wednesday. <laughs> Why not? That's the day the inspector gets out of the hospital. <laughs> uh, did your Uncle Mike go to see his favorite uh, program, What's Doing, Ladies? Yes, and there was a line in front of that studio two blocks long. Uh, never mind that. How did he like What's Doing Ladies? I don't know. By the time he got in, they were through doing it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, your Uncle Mike is an ignoramus. He ought to get himself an education. Yes, he's got one, Abbott. Why, ten years ago, Uncle Mike was a garbage collector without an education. Then he went to night school and he graduated. And what a difference that made in him. What is he now? A garbage collector with an education. <laughs> Well, never mind him, Costello. What is your Sam Shovel detective story for tonight? It's a fascinating case, Abbott. I call it the case of the curbstone murder 
or Gertie, get out of the gutter and let the water go by. (laughs) Sounds intriguing. Let's get on with the case. Yeah, let's do that. And now, the makers of Smudge Pot Cigarettes present the further adventures of Sam Shovel, Private Detective. But first, a word about our product, Smudge Pot Cigarettes. Smudge Pots are the only cigarettes that contain no nicotine, no harmful tars, no tobacco. (laughs) These cigarettes are made only from the finest domestic and Turkish towels. (laughs) And remember our slogan, Smudge Pots are the only cigarettes that contain alum. Our slogan is, pucker while you puff. Go to your cigar store tonight. They will give you a package of smudge pots for nothing. The package has no sharp edges. Take them home and throw them in your dresser. What a cigarette. So free. So easy on the drawers. (laughs) And now to the adventures of Sam Shovel, private detective. Yes. Yes, I'm Sam Shovel, private detective. I'm sitting in my little office looking at my new office safe. This time I got a real office safe. When I go home at night, I lock my office in it. (laughs) I see a piece of string around my finger. Suddenly I remember what it's for. It's to remind me to take the string off my finger. (laughs) I reach in my pocket for my tobacco. There's a big hole in my pocket. That's the last time I'll buy chewing tobacco. (laughs) I always choose a hole in my pocket. (laughs) This detective racket is plenty tough. You've got to work in all kinds of weather. Just listen to that wind howling outside. I'll give you that if you'll give me this. I'll give you this if you give me that. It's a trade wind. It was such a nice night as this that I was called to solve the famous farmyard murder. A fiendish farmer had cut off his hired man's head. He hid it in the alfalfa. What a tough case. It was like finding a noodle in a haystack. (laughs) I decide to shave. I lather my face. The razor hums through my whiskers. St. Louis woman with all her diamond rings. I always use Gillette Blues blades. I decide to dial up a little in case a client should come in. I put on my swallowtail coat. I take it off. Seems silly for a man my age to wear a coat made of swallowtail. <laughs> I notice the headline in the morning paper. The country is in a strange position. On the next page it says, eggs are going up. Chickens must be in a strange position too. <laughs> Suddenly, the phone rings. Hello? Yes, this is Sam Shovel, the detective. Somebody that wants me to handle the keys. Yes? No. No, I can't work that cheap. No, no, you know my prize. What's that? 5,000? Okay, I'll take the case. Right, 5,000. But remember, all Tootsie Rolls, no jelly beans. I thought of my friend, Lieutenant Abbott of the Homicide Squad. I might get him to help me on this case. 
Some people think Lieutenant Abbott has a screw loose in his head, but I know different. I tightened that screw in his head only yesterday. <laughs> One thing I will say for Lieutenant Abbott, he knows his onions. He can walk in any vegetable store and say, that's an onion. <laughs> but he's a real cop. Abbott don't know the meaning of the word intimidation. That's only one of a million words. You don't know the meaning of <laughs> Hello, Sam Shovel. It's my pal, Lieutenant Abbott of the Homicide Squad. Sam, I'd like to leave my new cowhide briefcase in your office. That's a pretty briefcase, Lieutenant. Yeah, it's genuine cowhide. Open it. <laughs> the cow is still hiding in it. There's a picture of your wife in it, too. She looks kind of different in this picture. It's her hair. She's wearing a page boy. Don't she look nice? It's hard to tell. The page boy's feet are hanging down over her face. <laughs> Enough of this nonsense, Ham. The cops caught an old friend of yours last night. Shirley, the shoplifter. Beautiful Shirley, the shoplifter. I once trailed her through a department store. Through the shoe department, through the jewelry department, the furniture department, then I caught her in men's underwear. <laughs> this is serious, Sam. Shirley is in the prison hospital. She's unconscious. She keeps moaning, Perry. Perry! Perry! You must be in the state of Como. <laughs> Sam, if you want to see Shirley alive... We better get over to the hospital at once. Let's go. We arrived at the hospital. We were walking down the corridor. I was reading the signs on the door. Dr. Kildare, surgery, back in 10 minutes. Dr. Nichols, surgery, back in 15 minutes. Dr. Condon, perjury, back in 20 years. <laughs> Sam, here comes the doctor that's taking care of Shirley the shoplifter. He looks like a phony to me. I heard that, young man. I'll have you know that I've operated on over 300 patients and I never lost a single one of them. You didn't? No, I know where each one of them is buried. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, can we go in and see Shirley now? Yes, but don't stay too long, please. The patient must not have too much excitement. Why not? How do I know? All the radio doctors say that. <laughs> My goodness, aren't you Sam Shovel, the detective? That's me. Man, from the looks of you, you need medical attention. Uh, Shovel, if you'll come here tomorrow between 2 and 4 or between 6 and 8, remember, between 2 and 4 or 6 and 8, I'll examine your head. Why can't I come between 4 and 6? That's when they're examining my head. <laughs> come on, Sam Shovel. Here's Shirley's room. Shirley, my poor Shirley. Sir, who are you? And what are you doing here? I'm Shirley's father. She's in the next room. She's got appendicitis. None of the doctors will operate on her. I'm afraid she'll die. Cheer up, friend. I will operate on Shirley. You? I thought you were a detective. Before I became a detective, I was known as young Dr. Shovel. <laughs> are you sure you can do it, Sam? Am I sure I can do it? Certainly. I'll skin out to the car and get my satchel of surgical instruments. She's got a satchel. She's right in there, Sam. Here I go. Has anybody got a hammer? Here's a hammer. Thanks. 
Anybody got a chisel? Here's a chisel. Anybody got a blowtorch? Wait a minute, Sam. Sam, hammer, chisel, blowtorch. What are you doing to Shirley? What, Shirley? First, I got to open my satchel. Costello, a Sam Shovel, you were really digging them up tonight. <laughs> Get it? Shovel? Digging them up? <laughs> it's a joke, son. I dug up a joke. Yes, and you'd better bury it again. <laughs> Abbott, let's leave the jokes to our writer. You mean we got writers? Oh, he's only kidding, folks. He knows our writing staff. We're headed by Eddie Foreman with Paul Conlon, Pat Costello, Martin Ragaway, and Len Stern. And I know that our producer is Charles Vanda. That's pretty good for Abbott, folks, when you consider Vanda's only been on the show two years. <laughs> Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Good night. Listen each Thursday night at this time for another great Abbott and Costello show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood. Be sure to stay tuned for the outstanding entertainment which follows throughout the evening on this ABC station. <laughs>